Totally Screwed. My name is Chris Shear, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. It's time for another installment of Were They Great, where we explore the reigns of rulers who were given the title, The Great, in order to determine if they really deserve that honor. In this installment, we're covering one of the great leaders of the Enlightenment era, Frederick II of Prussia. And yes, that's Prussia, not Russia. We'll get more into that with the background lesson. Frederick was king in Prussia, as well as king of Prussia. Again, confusing, but we'll go over it. For most of the back half of the 18th century, he is known as a fairly successful monarch who helped to unite Prussia, reorganize its military, and was very well known as a patron of the arts. And because these episodes are more about the reign than the ruler themselves, I'll throw in here that Frederick's sexuality has been something of a hot debate since, well, ever since he was alive. Was he gay? Probably. Not hurting anyone saying he was. So, without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to the Kingdom of Prussia of the 18th century in Frederick II of Prussia. Was he great? So our first point of business with the background history lesson is defining what Prussia is. Historically, it's a region located along the southern coast of the Baltic Sea. Depending on what period of history you're dealing with, it occupied land in Germany, which would have been part of the Holy Roman Empire at this point, Poland, Russia, but that small part of Russia that's not connected to the rest of the nation, and Lithuania. It had been settled by Germanic tribes since ancient times, but it was not until the 13th century that it would become what we know of as Prussia when the lands were conquered by the Teutonic Knights. They were one of those Middle Ages Christian knight orders that were big during the Crusades, like the Knight Templars or the Knights Hospitaller that I talked about in the episode over Solomon the Magnificent. The Teutonic Order would then fight against Poland, the major power right next door, for the next few centuries. In the 16th century, the Teutonic Knights were finally defeated outright by the Polish, and Prussia became the Duchy of Prussia under Polish control. The last Grand Master of the Teutonic Order, Albert I of House Hohenzollern, then converted to Lutheranism and became the first Duke of Prussia. House Hohenzollern is a very old noble family that has controlled territories throughout the area Prussia has also controlled. Frederick was also a member of this noble family. Duke Albert was succeeded by his son, Albert Frederick, who died in 1618 without any sons making it to adulthood. Albert Frederick's daughter, Anna, however, was married to one of the prince-electors of the Holy Roman Empire, John Sigismund of Brandenburg. Sigismund was then put in as successor of Albert Frederick, and his territories in Brandenburg joined with the Duchy of Prussia to form the very originally named Brandenburg Prussia. But now Sigismund's lands are composed of disconnected territories in the Holy Roman Empire and Poland. The political structure of the nation also started moving in a more German direction, with the capital eventually moving to Berlin. Throughout various wars with Poland both before this period and during its time as Brandenburg Prussia, the actual region of Prussia, which is different from the nation of Prussia, had been divided up into different areas under the control of separate European powers that were all referred to as different versions of Prussia, such as Eastern Prussia in Lithuania and Western Prussia in Poland. 
Well, by 1701, Frederick the Great's grandfather, Frederick III of Brandenburg, managed to upgrade the duchy into an outright kingdom, now known as the Kingdom of Prussia. However, since Frederick III of Brandenburg, now Frederick I of Prussia, only controlled the area that had been Brandenburg Prussia and not the entire region of Prussia, he was only allowed to call himself King in Prussia instead of King of Prussia. And from there, the kingdom was allowed to grow. Let's now do a quick jump to talk about the Enlightenment. I already did a lesson over the Enlightenment back in the previous Were They Great episode over Peter the Great. In case you missed that one though, here's a quick spiel about the Enlightenment. It was the next big period of time after the Renaissance that mostly took place in the 1700s. It was a time to move away from the religion, art, and classical thinking of the previous era, and time to move on to more modern fields of study like science and the philosophies of people like Voltaire and Descartes. A lot more of a secular era. It was basically the beginning of the common man rising up from the chains of the monarchs and the formation of more modern nations. The Kingdom of Prussia was at the forefront of the Germanic section of the Enlightenment, mostly thanks to the ideals and policies of Frederick that we'll get into later. The German states looked to France for inspiration because French was actually the language most nobles used in places like the Kingdom of Prussia. And actually, Frederick preferred using French for writing, although he still had to use German when doing his kingly duties. Frederick apparently actually really disliked the German language. But it was through the Enlightenment that the Germanic states, obviously Prussia included, were able to fundamentally change from the ground up. Almost everyone, besides a few nobles, were on board with this new age of philosophy and reason. And one king would wholeheartedly embrace these ideals to restructure his nation. A man who is almost synonymous with the Enlightenment itself. Before we jump into Frederick's reign, let's briefly talk about what he'll inherit, the reign of his father, King Frederick William I. Frederick William is sometimes known by the nickname the Soldier King. He helped to expand the powers of Prussia both militarily and economically, though he is more known for the former, hence his nickname. One of his great military achievements was the formation of the Canton system. It was a prototype of modern-day conscription policies, such as the draft in the United States. This system was designed to prevent the forced coercion of young men into the Prussian military. Overall, it was seen as a great success because it vastly increased the size of the Prussian army, making it the fourth largest in Europe despite the nation itself only being the twelfth largest. By the time Frederick became king, one out of every 28 citizens was a soldier. In the UK at the time, one citizen out of 310 was a soldier. Granted, with this massive new army came skyrocketing military costs, and the military budget became a whopping 86% of the Prussian state's budget. Frederick William also helped form what are known as the Prussian Virtues. These were a various list of values that Frederick William felt he himself possessed that were necessary for any good citizen of Prussia. Some of these virtues included industriousness, humility, godliness, courage, austerity, loyalty, and incorruptibility. As Prussia grew in power, especially throughout the reign of Frederick II, these values began to spread throughout the other German states. 
And actually, the diffusion of these values generally gets summed up as the precursor to the stereotypes about Germans being efficient and disciplined with a dry sense of humor. And though Frederick would go on to continue the trend of these Prussian virtues, it was very much this type of behavior that made him hate his father. He did not want to be the strict and militaristic ruler like his father. Before he even ascended to the throne, French polymath Jean Laurent d'Alembert told Frederick that the more philosophical and scientific minds of Europe were looking to him as their future leader. Unfortunately, Frederick had inherited one of the most powerful militaries in Europe, and he was the leader of a nation made up of separate pieces. So in order to determine if Frederick really does deserve to be called the Great, let's start off by looking into how he used that newly expanded army. There's a popular aphorism about Prussia's army during this time. It's translated into English as Prussia was not a state in possession of an army, but an army in possession of a state. The military was everything to this fractured nation, so it only made sense that some of the more prominent highlights of Frederick's reign should be through war, and he started his rule off right away by throwing himself at the region of Silesia. Let's get a quick background on this before I actually talk about the Silesian Wars. Back in the 16th century, the Hohenzollern family in Brandenburg signed a treaty with the Piast dynasty in Silesia. The treaty stated that should the Piast dynasty die out, the Hohenzollerns would get their territories in the region. The only problem here was the Habsburg dynasty in Bohemia, which is the present-day Czech Republic. The Habsburgs were this massive dynasty with family branches that ruled in almost every European nation at some point and for a very long time, they were in control of the Holy Roman Empire. The Habsburgs denied the treaty's authority, so it technically didn't go through. However, a member of the House Hohenzollern eventually inherited lands in Silesia after the death of his cousin. But then that guy went to war against the Habsburgs, lost, and had the land taken from him and his descendants. This back and forth went on up through the reigns of Frederick's grandfather, King Frederick I. Another background for the Silesian Wars was the succession of Holy Roman Emperor Charles VI. He died in 1740 with no male heirs. However, in 1713, he had made an edict called the Pragmatic Sanction, which allowed for him to be succeeded by his niece. However, Charles ended up having a daughter, Maria Theresa who was actually the one to succeed him, becoming the only woman to control all of the Habsburg dominions. Well, this whole deal of succession allowed the waters to get muddied, but she was legally the empress. Both Frederick and Maria Theresa ascended to their respective thrones in 1740. Frederick decided that his family's claims to Silesia were more than valid and almost immediately began readying his armies for an invasion of Silesia. Frederick became king in Prussia in May. Charles VI died in October. By November 8th, Frederick ordered his troops to get ready. A little over a month later, Frederick sent word to Empress Maria Theresa to cede the region of Silesia to Prussia. In return, he would recognize her authority, not lead his army against any of her other lands, and even offer up a large sum of money. Well, five days later, before the Empress could even respond, Frederick was marching his troops into Silesia. Thus began the First Silesian War. 
by the end of January 1741, not even a month and a half later, almost the entirety of the region had fallen under Prussian control. Only a few major Austrian strongholds held out, but by April, these two had fallen under the might of Frederick's armies. Frederick's victories against Maria Theresa and Austria drew the attention of all the other major powers in Europe. You see, Austria was one of the main powerhouses of Europe at the time, and it was ruled by the Habsburgs. Everyone surrounding it wanted to see them brought low. Knowing that things would go really far south if she kept fighting Frederick and every single one of her neighbors, the Habsburg Empress decided to begin peace talks with Prussia. On October 9th of 1741, Austria and Prussia reached a peace deal that ceded Lower Silesia, the northwestern half of the region, to Prussia. With Prussia out of the conflict, the larger war called the War of Austrian Succession, Austria began to get back on its feet and gain ground. Fearing that this new confidence would make Maria Theresa back out of her word, Frederick decided that it was time to get back in the fight. Throughout the first half of 1742, Prussia and Austria battled back and forth over control of Silesia. Prussia would win and take over, then Austria would strike a solid blow and push them back. This continued back and forth until in June, after a major Prussian victory, Austria agreed to another peace treaty that would give Prussia almost all of the region. However, that was just the first Silesian War. How would Austria feel about going through two more? The Second Silesian War is sometimes just considered a continuation of the First Silesian War. It picked up a couple years later in August of 1744. Once again, Frederick was worried that the Habsburg Empress would renege her side of the treaty that granted Prussia control over Silesia. The War of Austrian Succession was once more going in Maria Theresa's favor, so she was actually thinking she had made a bad deal with Frederick. Basically, things went exactly the same as they had before. The only real difference was that this time around, Maria Theresa had the Germanic state of Saxony on her side. But a new ally was not enough to stop the might of Frederick and Prussia. The three parties signed the Treaty of Dresden in December of 1745. It granted Prussia control of Silesia. In the treaty, Frederick also agreed to recognize Maria Theresa's husband, Francis I, as the Holy Roman Emperor. He would also remain neutral for the rest of the War of Austrian Succession. It was through this strategic victory and overall great deal in Prussia's favor that Frederick finally started to be referred to as Friedrich de Gross aka Frederick the Great. A decade later, the world was thrown into chaos with the Seven Years' War, a conflict that spanned continents and technically, at least in my opinion, should be considered the actual First World War. Well, with every European power at war with each other, it only made sense that Austria would once again turn its eyes towards Prussia and Silesia. But unlike the first two Silesian Wars, things were different. Frederick's victories in Silesia had turned his nation into a European powerhouse. He was no longer leader of an underdog Germanic state. No, more leaders in Europe were beginning to view Frederick's nation as the actual threat. Frederick then discovered that in late 1756, Austria, Saxony, France, and Russia had all grouped together into an anti-Prussian coalition. 
He was convinced that the group was planning to invade him in early 1757, which they absolutely were, but decided he would strike first and invaded Saxony in December of 1756. After victories in Saxony, Frederick turned his attention back east and marched his armies into Bohemia. From then on, things got pretty par for the course for a Silesian war. Prussia would get the upper hand, Austria and its allies would manage to fight back and push Prussia back a bit. France was the first nation to fall out of the war in 1758. Next came Russia in 1762 when Empress Elizabeth died. Elizabeth of Russia was succeeded by Peter III, who was German by birth and a super Prussophile. Well, he was deposed half a year later by Catherine the Great of Russia. She decided to pull out of the war altogether. With things back to how they were in the Second Silesian War, Prussia versus Austria and Saxony, it was pretty clear who was going to be the victor. In February of 1763, Austria, Saxony, and Prussia signed the Treaty of Hubertusburg. The treaty essentially just reverted everything to the way it was before the war broke out. Prussia had Silesia and backed out of Saxony. Nothing changed. The Third Silesian War is considered a victory for Frederick because he defended the territory from being taken away, but... I mean, the entire war was really pointless. And thus ended the Silesian Wars, with Frederick scoring 3-0 against Empress Maria Theresa. The only major thing to come out of it was that Frederick agreed to support Maria Theresa's son in the election of 1764 for the next Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, oh yeah, that was an elected position by this point. In order to just really stick it to Austria though, Frederick would fight them one last time in the War of Bavarian Succession in 1778. This war didn't amount to too much. Maria Theresa's son, Emperor Joseph II, was keen to add the state of Bavaria to the repertoire of the Habsburg property. They were hoping to get France on their side, but France was tied up in the American Revolution, so they couldn't really go for a war in Europe. Also, things had switched up and now Saxony and Russia were Frederick's allies. Maria Theresa, Joseph II's mother and co-ruler, realized once again that war with Prussia would be a no-go, so she went with Frederick behind her son's back and asked for peace. Once Catherine the Great put her foot down and said she was almost ready to go to war with Joseph II, the emperor finally backed down. Again, another pretty pointless war. However, in the aftermath of the war, Frederick decided to create the Furstenbund, the Germanic League of Princes. This league was essentially Frederick's way of saying he and Prussia were the leaders of the Protestant German states against their enemies on all sides. Once again, Frederick had put himself front and center for the entire world. And everyone agreed that this was fine. And why not? In all matters of warfare, Frederick had always come out on top. Now that we've thoroughly gone over Frederick's military triumphs, let's take a slight turn to talk about another achievement of his rule. You see, throughout most of the wars I've discussed so far, Frederick still had the strange title of King in Prussia. Let's now delve into how he actually became King of Prussia. Prussia at this point was still mostly two major chunks of land that were separated by land that belonged to Poland. That Polish land was part of the region of Prussia, but it still evaded Frederick's control. 
he would need that Polish land if he won the new fancy title of King of Prussia. It all begins with Catherine the Great convincing Poland to place her former lover Stanislaw August Poniatowski on the throne as king in 1764. Russia's interference with the Polish government started to create an imbalance in the country. Countless rebellions and civil wars flared up, mostly by the minority of non-Catholic citizens. Then, in 1768, a group of Polish nobility formed a coalition called the Bar Confederation, with the goal of fighting against Russian control of their nation. One of their strategies was helping fuel a war between Russia and the Ottoman Turks. The war between Russia and the Ottomans soon began to turn in Russia's favor, causing rulers like Frederick and Maria Theresa to worry about the imbalance of power that could occur if Russia gained former Ottoman territories. Frederick very much hoped to avoid bloodshed to preserve the power balance in Central Europe. He saw this as the moment to finally gain the rest of the region of Prussia he had longed for since before his coronation. Frederick approached Austria and Russia with plans to divvy up a decent sized chunk of Poland so that all three major powers gained more territory without furthering war against the Ottomans. Yes, this would be detrimental for Poland, but the three other nations didn't really care about their weakened neighbor. In September of 1772, Austria, Russia, and Prussia ratified an agreement that called for the division of a third of Poland, a decision that now made over a third of Poland's population no longer Polish citizens. With the agreement, Frederick finally got his hands on the region known as Royal Prussia, aka Polish Prussia. Now, Prussia was whole, joining Brandenburg in the west and East Prussia in the… well in the east. With the entire region under his belt, it was only fair that Frederick was able to stylize himself as King of Prussia. This event, referred to as the First Partition of Poland, yeah, this would happen two more times, but after Frederick's death, is considered another major victory for the old Fritz. He got exactly what he wanted out of the agreement, did it without bloodshed, and managed to further cement himself as the savior of Protestants in Poland. But we've talked about Frederick's foreign policies for long enough. Despite most of his major victories being in war and foreign policy, Frederick the Great is usually known more as a patron of the arts. From his youth, Frederick had participated in all forms of art. He played the flute, wrote books, and even composed music and operas. Before and during his time as king, he often was in written correspondence with many philosophers of the Enlightenment. He was a massive fan of Voltaire and even invited the philosopher to reside in Prussia for some time. Voltaire would later start calling Frederick a philosopher king. However, the two eventually grew to immensely dislike each other after constant bickering ensued for over a decade. Voltaire aside, Frederick was enamored by humanity's ability to philosophize and create, and he sought to let that flourish within his Prussia. If he himself could not fulfill the ideals of his youth, which I'll get into later, then he would make sure Prussia was a kingdom where artistic talent was spread to every corner. He was a patron of many influential composers of the time. In 1774, he met with Bach, which inspired the composer to write the musical Offering. He also directly employed Bach's son as one of his court musicians. In 1773, Frederick commissioned the creation of the Berlin State Opera, which still stands to this day. 
On top of that, he made admission to opera free because he thought that would make it more popular. His desire to bring the Enlightenment to Prussia after the complete disregard for the era by his father meant that Frederick ended up hiring many artists and architects from different countries in Europe. This mixture of styles and influences created the artistic style that is known as Frederican Rococo. Rococo refers to an artistic style that was very extravagant and theatrical. It was essentially the art style of the Enlightenment. I recommend googling Rococo art, it's all very interesting to look at. He also reopened the Prussia Academy of Sciences, which had been closed by his father for economic reasons. If Prussia was to lead the German states and the Enlightenment, it would need brilliant minds to do so. Like his work with art and architecture, Frederick hired great minds from across Europe to teach at the academy, such as the philosopher Immanuel Kant. The school would teach its subjects in French, which was considered the intellectual language of the 18th century. The academy would continue to attract and produce brilliant minds even after Frederick's death. Albert Einstein presented some of his theories to the academy in 1915. While the academy would undergo many changes in the centuries since Frederick's day, it was eventually replaced by the Berlin-Brandenburg Academy of Sciences and Humanities in 1992. The original building still exists, though. Let's now talk about two topics in Frederick's domestic policy, religion and the environment. While Prussia was a mostly Protestant nation, Frederick himself was agnostic. He viewed it as necessary for a nation of the Enlightenment to be tolerant towards all religions. He publicly touted the freedoms people were allowed to experience if they moved to Prussia. This was mostly due to the massive casualties that had rocked the nation during wartime. Even if he won those wars, it doesn't mean he won them without severe loss of lives. It does seem ironic then that Frederick himself did not have the most tolerant of religious views despite trying to make it seem like it was part of his nation. Catholics were never chosen for higher positions in the government. He was also pretty anti-Semitic. Even though he openly welcomed Jewish immigrants, Frederick once wrote, We have too many Jews in the towns, it would be prudent to pay attention so that their numbers do not increase. Intolerance aside, sorry that's a phrase I don't like using, anyways, Frederick's public pitch of Prussian tolerance succeeded. The population of the nation recovered. And speaking of new immigrants to rebuild the population, Frederick began a project of draining swamps in order to create farmland for the newcomers. This tactic resulted in over 1,000 new Prussian villages being founded during his reign. Frederick's father had forced him to work on the land throughout the province when he was just a boy, so it only made sense that the king knew plenty about farming and how to better his nation through it. This unfortunately came at the expense of the actual environment. Frederick's agricultural projects lowered the biodiversity of Prussia and possibly destroyed many native plant and animal species. But hey, he founded the first veterinarian school in Prussia so that balances it all out, right? He was against hunting because he found it barbaric. I mean, he also set up plenty of laws to try to protect native plants, but there is a certain amount of dissonance he's allowing himself with that one. 
I guess since Frederick basically saw himself as the embodiment of the Enlightenment, an era steeped in rationality and reason, that he was able to believe destroying the environment while trying to protect it made sense. Also, because he helped introduce the potato to Prussia, Frederick is sometimes known as the Potato King. But the terms Philosopher King and Potato King would not actually be terms Frederick would use to describe himself. Last bit of information before we begin the judgment of Frederick the Great. He was a grand proponent of the concept of enlightened absolutism. This meant that all the power of the state was given to one person, in Frederick's case himself, not due to any idea such as divine right of kings, meaning a higher power had destined him to be ruler, but due to the fact that his intelligence and rationality would be best put to use if there was no outside interference. Joseph II of the Habsburgs described it as everything for the people, nothing by the people. Frederick's obsession with the French culture of the Enlightenment had been a major influence on his youth, and many of those themes emphasized democracy and powers of the citizens. He hoped to change his nation with these more modern concepts and ways of thinking. However, he was also a king. He wasn't going to give up the crown in order for democracy to flourish. Heck, he didn't really even have any advisors. When Voltaire and other philosophers visited him and discussed Enlightenment ideas for government, they were never actually able to sway his mind. How effective this method of ruling is really depends on your own beliefs about monarchies. Is an enlightened monarch all that better than a regular monarch who believes they were decreed to rule from God? Frederick got a lot of things done during his rule in the name of helping his people modernize. At least his definition of modernize. Okay, let's start wrapping this up and grade Frederick's performance. Also, I have to change my grading scale because if I mark off points for warfare, no one in history would ever get an A. Frederick's rule was incredibly efficient. In the 46 years he ruled Prussia, he never lost a war. Battles, yeah, but never the actual wars themselves. He set his eyes on a course of action and was usually able to make that dream come true. Silesia, his. A unified Prussia, his. A nation where the greatest minds of Europe could gather and spread the good word of the Enlightenment? Done and done. His rule was considered such an achievement that it would influence Germany for the next two centuries. You know, up until he became a Nazi icon and one of Hitler's personal heroes. After World War II, his image took a heavy hit. But even outside of being an actual king, Frederick's ideas of enlightened absolutism have inspired some philosophies about modern-day workplaces. The idea of servant leadership essentially means that a boss should use their position to better their employees' lives instead of using them as cogs in a machine. Frederick was an incredible powerhouse on the battlefield and back home. Did he have his faults? Of course, he was a white man living in the 1700s. He was racist like the rest of them and not as religiously tolerant as he led his nation to believe. The first partition of Poland was allowed to happen because Frederick had enacted way too many laws that would weaken his neighboring nation's position in the first place. And even after gaining Polish Prussia, Frederick then made it his goal to stamp out every bit of Polish cultural identity that his new subjects had. 
So, how far are you willing to forgive an 18th century king becomes the question. Personally, knowing about so many other people who got the nickname The Great, Frederick II of Prussia is probably one of the less egregious of the bunch. Like I said, he was able to put vision into action. When the situation didn't require warfare, he was able to use his diplomacy skills to avoid bloodshed. And on top of that, his rule helped solidify Prussia as a European powerhouse. And though the Kingdom of Prussia might not exist today, Frederick's ideals for his nation were upheld for centuries, even through the modern day in helping establish the overall identity of Germany once the nation was united. So for that, I'll give Frederick an A on the Were They Great grading scale. Not an A+, but an A. Good job. Frederick the Great's rule is perhaps one of the most successful that I've ever covered on this show. He may not have been the longest reigning ruler in history, and some people might claim that there are others who were more successful, but I think it's going to be tough to find a ruler who has the nickname The Great who can beat him out on the grading scale for now. And now that we're out of the grading system, let's quickly finish his story. Frederick died on August 17, 1786 at the age of 74. His will had insisted that he be buried without ceremony next to his pet greyhounds. Since he did not have any children, his nephew Frederick William II succeeded him as King of Prussia and decided to completely disregard Frederick's desires, instead burying him at the Potsdam Garrison Church next to Frederick's father. It wasn't until the 205th anniversary of his death in 1991 that Frederick's will was finally fulfilled. He was moved from his then place of internment and buried at Sanssouci, Frederick's summer palace. There was no ceremony, just like he wanted. People even sometimes placed potatoes near the grave or the Potato King. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and subscribe to the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, it's back to Rome. Now that Augustus is emperor, we're going to learn about his plans to continue the dynasty by learning a bit about his choice of successors. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. <laughs>